0: Uh, good morning and happy Easter. I just want to thank you all for joining us this morning uh, here with uh, Forest Heights Baptist Church, uh, our online sermon stream for Easter Sunday. Uh, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, I do just want to share just a few quick announcements. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we are still accepting donations for uh, the homeless ministries around Athens. If you have any goods that you would like to donate, uh, please either message the church on Facebook uh, or send us an email to info at fhbcathens.org and we will get in touch with you on how to get that stuff to where it needs to go. Speaking of donations, uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for donating to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering uh, this year. Uh, We don't have the total quite yet, uh, but I will have that for you all next week. If you're still interested in donating, you can send those donations to 1155 Oglethorpe Avenue, Athens, Georgia, 30606. If you've purchased anything for Operation Christmas Child, uh, we do ask that you just hold that with you until the church opens back up and then once that happens, we would be happy to accept those donations. Uh, if you need any assistance or anything during this time, please be sure to reach out to your deacon. Uh, or if you're not a member of the church, you can send us a message on Facebook. Or, again, you can send us an email to info at fhpcathens.org. Now, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, and a little special surprise for you all, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, hey, God, just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that we have just to be able to come and worship together as a body on this Easter Sunday, God. Uh, Thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you made for us, sending your son to die for us, just to have him come back, raised to life three days later. Um, I pray that you just be with Brother Mike as he brings the message. Uh, I pray that you would just give him the words to say and that you would prepare our hearts for the message that you have for us. Uh, I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us as we go throughout our week with any uh, requests that need to be lifted up to you, God. I just pray that you would just be with all of this in a special way. Uh, we love you and we praise you. And it's all in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Uh, Now before I pass this over to Brother Mike, we do have uh, a lovely guest, my mother, who's going to be bringing y'all a special. So I hope y'all enjoy, and again, have a happy Easter.
1: It's good to be with you again. I wish that I could see you all, but uh, it's uh, impossible at this time. I hope that you have a great Easter. I'll miss you in one sense, but I'll know that uh, with the message, hopefully uh, many of you will be able to hear it, and, and I just hope and pray that it'll be uh, uplifting, that God will speak through it, and that He, the main point is that He will be uh, glorified. That's that's the main purpose. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to be looking, uh, as already been mentioned, at Matthew chapter 16. And we'll begin with verse 20. So the way of the cross. And let's pray at this time. Father, I just want to thank you for your wonderful love and grace. I pray that you'll just uh, touch our hearts in a very special way. Lord, it's all about you. I pray that you'll just draw us heaven, hell, heavenward. That we'll see you in a very unique and wonderful and awesome way. And I pray that our lives will be changed, forever changed. And that we'll be brought closer to you if we know you. But if we don't know you, I pray that uh, for those that are without Christ, that they'll be touched and convicted in such a way that they'll see your wonderful love and grace. and and having their eyes open to the truth that they will receive you as their Lord and Savior. Be forgiven for their sins and, and be uh, brought into your forever family. So uh, just use this time uh, to lift you up and to be honored, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in the book of Matthew. And now, as we come to Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, it says, Then Jesus warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. I have three boys, and uh, they each dealt with the situation of having children differently. And I recall our youngest one, I believe, uh, saying that they rather not have their uh, the announcement of uh, his wife being pregnant right away that they wanted to wait and it was for a purpose Uh, we were excited about it we wanted to go ahead with it but we honored their request and we waited as others did also that they told a handful but it was for a purpose it was for a reason We've had other people, friends, to do the same thing. And, and it was all because of a reason that they had, a purpose in it. In Matthew sixteen twenty, when Jesus says, Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. This seems weird. Well, why is it weird? What is he talking about if you're just joining in? Well, in Matthew uh, 16, verses 15 through 19... He had, been, he had asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And of course, I told him, you know, some prophet, uh, Elijah or, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Uh, he said, but who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter, being a spokesperson, uh, gave the great confession of who Christ was. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now when the disciples were asked who they thought Jesus to be and Peter spoke for them what he was saying was and he gave an awesome statement here I mean a you know a statement that had not been uh, given before uh, the combination there he said you are the uh, the Christ in other words you're the Messiah that we have been looking for that the nation of Israel has been promised and you're the consolation. You're the hope that we have. The hope of Israel. The, uh, the fulfill, fulfillment of all of God's promises. But he also said, The Son of God, you're divine. That's what he was saying. Now that could not have been could not have come from him and him alone. And Jesus said, It did not come from by your own revelation. It came from the Father above. So, this was a divinely given illumination that Peter had, that was given by the Father. Uh, the, uh, God the Father gave him this special insight. And so, and the others, as they had been talking about it. So, Jesus goes on to say in this passage, of uh, 50, verses fifteen through nineteen, he says, "Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it." He's telling them, now upon this body of believers, upon this group of uh, confessions that have accepted me as their savior, recognizing who I am and acknowledging what I've done, and and that I am the Son of God. I am Christ, the Son of God. Uh, he says. This church, death itself will not defeat it. And uh, nothing in the world that, that uh, can come against it, Satan or anyone, uh, can extinguish it, snuff it out. Death itself is no barrier to the gospel. The gospel will continue on. This is the, the purpose of, that Jesus had in coming, is, is to share about the good news That he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And the church, the body of Christ, continues with this message. And so death itself is no end for the church. The church will live on. Now Jesus then told them that he would give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And Jesus is not giving him the keys to the church. He's giving him the keys of heaven. In other words, the church, as we talked about, is, is just limited. Uh, uh, whereas the kingdom is comprehensive. The kingdom does not refer to the church. And they are not synonymous. Jesus uses the keys to stand for Access. And so what Jesus is telling Peter and the disciples is that he's giving them access to the resources of his all-encompassing kingdom. Now what resources? Keys in the Bible were uh, referred to uh, as that that was held by the scribes. And it was a symbol of their teaching function. And so they were teachers of the scripture. And so the function of the church is to help establish the rule of God in the hearts of his people. Bringing the values and priorities of God's kingdom to bear on every aspect of our culture. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's in activities, whatever it might be. Not just a church, not just with the body of believers. The body of believers go out and as they learn to apply the Scripture to their life, as they learn how important the Scripture is to obey, they show a world how the world should function under God's rule. So this is what he's talking about when he says the keys. It's evaluating and coming to a conclusion of all things on the basis of the Word of God. The church alone has been given the power and authority here. Now, uh, whatever is bound by the Scriptures and has been bound in heaven, be bound on earth, whatever is loose, is loosed uh, uh, on earth, that has been loosed in heaven. So Peter shares with Christ that, that he is... The messianic promise to Israel. Messianic promise. Peter answered uh, Christ correctly. And it was a stunning revelation as I mentioned earlier. One that could only be understood because the Father revealed it to him. It's just like with salvation. You know, we can talk people into uh, saying a prayer and asking Christ into their heart and they not mean it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a divinely uh, inspired uh, heart that has been opened up to God. In other words, God's divine truth. And that illumination has been given to them and they accept it. They submit their will to God. But it doesn't happen apart from the uh, the Holy Spirit. This is why, uh, you know, a lot of people that may fade away from the church. Maybe they just came because we manipulated them into coming to the church and and saying some prayer and it was never uh, a divine intervention there where God opened up their eyes and they truly submitted and surrendered to the Spirit of God. So uh, this is divinely uh, opening up Peter's mind and the other disciples and letting them know that Jesus is the Messiah. They couldn't have understood this, they couldn't have said this without God leading them. And then he says, okay, you got it right. And this is a time where, boy, there should be a party. I mean, people should be getting together. It's kind of like an election time for them. You know, hey, let's, let's get all the flyers out. Let's go to the auditoriums. Let's rent them. Let's get the big crowds. Let's hit the radio stations, the TV stations. Let's hit all the news. And let's let them know that Jesus is the Messiah. Man, he's the one. It's time. Jesus says, no, I don't want anybody else to know right now. I don't want anybody to know. You go away and you keep silent about this. Now, to be honest with you, we humans would think this would have been a prime time for publicity and and really going through with the movement and following Christ. But Christ says, no, it's not time. Now, why is that so? What is the purpose behind that? You know, delays with God, first of all, delays with God are always for a reason. And this is no different. He was telling them this because he knew that they, first of all, that they needed to understand more. That there was a lot to happen between now and then and And so, also, he knows that it's not the right timing yet. He will sovereignly reveal these things when they need to be revealed and so uh we also need to know that they came up with some uh you know some great insight here but With this great insight, with this great confession that the Lord had opened their eyes to, there was one thing, though, that was missing. And Jesus knew this. They did not understand this yet. And they needed to get it. And this was, they needed to understand his messianic identity, which they got partially because they didn't understand it fully. And we'll mention that in just a few moments But they needed to understand that in connection with his salvific purpose, his salvific role. In other words, his Savior role. They had not gotten that yet. And we know this because we'll look at this in just a few moments. So Jesus is not ready for his disciples to publicly proclaim him because there's still much to learn and much to happen between now and the time they get to Jerusalem. So it says from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day from that time. Here God's plan is made plain. I mean there's an, you know up to now there you know there had been some emphasis uh, uh that had implied that he was to to die and be raised again but this was where he makes it very clear. Jesus uh he, at this point, may have been back in Galilee. We we don't know for sure, but some believe that he was. Now he was going to show his disciples something new, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Before this, Jesus had alluded to his death indirectly. You remember back in uh, Matthew 12, 40, where he talked about being in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And, you know, and uh, he alluded to it there. And then also, uh, if we read over in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, verse 19, he spoke of the temple being destroyed and being raised up again in three days. But now Jesus just comes right out and says it. And he speaks directly to the issue. Here we have the great hinge on which the gates of eternity hang for mankind. And so Jerusalem becomes the, uh, the most important word it seems like in this verse. Because this is a climactic place. This is where it's all going to happen. Jesus is now headed for Jerusalem. It is now the destiny. It is now the time. He is going there. It is now the fulfillment for His purpose, His reason for coming. So when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he's not going there for any other reason but for the reason to die. It is the destiny where Jesus will die for our sins and hang on Calvary's cross and his blood be shed so that we could be accepted into his forever family, God's forever family why because he jesus would become the propitiation for our sins he would become the just the satisfied demands that god justly demanded god the father for the sins of the world he would become the sacrifice by which we would enter into heaven so from that time jesus christ began to show his disciples that he must go to jerusalem The phrase to go is very interesting. It doesn't just say, he tells them. It says, he shows them. Now, to help understand this in Luke 24, to understand it better, uh, you can get some help there because uh, there we see two men on the road to, uh, uh, to Emmaus and they're talking about what had happened with Jesus in Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus appears to them, and he asked them what they were discussing, and they told him. Then Jesus said, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all, and with all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures and in all likelihood Jesus was teaching the disciples here the same way showing them in Matthew 16 from old testament scripture concerning him and his destiny what must happen the purpose for which he had come the destiny Uh, involved, which was the cross on which he would die. This was something new. They got the other part and they accepted it, but this was something new. The idea that the Messiah would suffer and die, that was incomprehensible. The disciples believed, as probably all the Jewish nation uh, believed, that the Messiah was supposed to come with strength to rule. He was supposed to come as a a great military leader. He was supposed to be the victor, not the vanquished. And so coming to die and dying such a humiliating death on the cross, it doesn't look much like victory to them. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. Once he got to Jerusalem, ground zero here, He would suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. This suffering is salvific, as I mentioned earlier. It's a salvific suffering. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that he would suffer, but that the suffering would be for a reason. It would be on behalf of the sinners which they were, which all were, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the suffering is salvific suffering. He even reveals who will head up this suffering. It it would be from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, uh, the religious leaders. You'd think, why from the religious leaders? Well, he brings up three points in this uh, this message, this destiny that he has, that he's teaching them, that's central to the gospel, and it's central to the gospel today, and it's it's all about Easter. But it's really all about Easter every day in a Christian's life. And that is that he must suffer, that he must die, die that cruel death on, on the cross, that humiliating death, and that he must rise again the third day. These are central to the faith of a believer, to all believers. Paul tells us in in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, to which also you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus is letting them know His purpose, His destiny is to die for the sins of the world. Aren't you glad that He came? We couldn't die for one another because we are sinners. But He could because He was holy and blameless without sin. Not only that, but uh, Not being spiritually ready caused a blurred vision and a problem with understanding. They weren't ready. The disciples weren't ready. This is something disciples were just not prepared to hear. A Messiah, yes. A military leader, yes. A victor, yes. But someone that would die, no. In verse 22, Peter gives us the example of how they, they miss this part of it. He, uh, uh, he's, he's ready to accept the fact that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, but to come and die for the sins of the world, it says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke the Lord, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you, Remember, this is the same Peter who we read about in this same chapter that Matthew has given us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when asked, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Matthew lets us see within a few verses, within the same chapter of parallel that consists of a, a, a repeating here. Uh, and of a contrast. Repeating is Peter speaking both times. The contrast is Peter confessing who Christ was and then denying his, his uh, destiny. Uh, saying that it just cannot happen. Now we, we have a rebuke to Jesus from Peter. Refusing to accept his mission and his destiny. And the word rebuked here uh, is used, and it's very a very shocking word, a very strong word. Matthew uses it describing Peter's uh, address to Christ. Peter is assuming that the Lord he had just misspoken. He's saying, "This can't be right, Lord. You don't know. You don't understand what you're saying. This this can't be so for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and die." And I probably he he didn't really uh, listen to the being raised again the third day that much, but he said this can't be the plan, Lord. He's saying God forbid it. You know this shall never happen to you. Peter, the one who loved Jesus supremely, becomes the very one who now stands in the way of Christ destiny, his obedience. Peter did not understand that by counseling the destiny of Christ it meant counseling his destiny. Without the cross there would be no removal of sin. There would be no redemption. There would be no paying the price for the sins of the world that only Christ could could pay. But we can't be quick to judge Peter because we need to remember that We're viewing the passage from this side of the cross, not the other side. And so uh, we see that uh, when joy comes in our life, even how hard it is sometimes. We accept it as a a proper lot as a child of God. But uh, when sorrow comes, we're inclined to doubt our Heavenly Father's wisdom and love at times. We all do it. So we're no different than Peter. Then he informs the Lord, this shall never happen to you. He was completely contradicting what uh, Jesus had declared was necessary to fulfill God's divine plan. Which leads to the warning here, the last part. And that is, make sure that what we believe doesn't contradict what the Scriptures teach. Verse 23, Jesus rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan you are a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man. We had Peter articulate the identity of Christ for the very first time. He is the example that we are to follow, the confession that he made. But now he is the example not to follow, the counterexample. And that is as standing as an obstacle in the path of the saving work of Christ. So Peter's mind and heart, you know, uh, we we certainly can understand it to a degree. But as we look at it, we see something that happens to us if we're not careful so easily, and that's to go from magnificence to misery, from orthodoxy if we're not careful to heresy, from pinnacle of getting it right to the humiliation of being terribly wrong. This is Peter's denial of Christ's purpose for which he came. Now, Matthew lets us see the contrast here with Peter, where at one point the Father is speaking through Peter, and at the the other point Satan is speaking through him. And we need to take uh, heed here. We need to be very careful and, and, and listen to what the Lord is teaching here. We need to check our intuitions by Scripture. If they're not theologically directed by Scripture, they will be directed by ourselves our own preconceptions, our own desires, and our own prejudices. And just like Peter, we can speak directed by Satan instead of directed by the Holy Spirit. We're just like Peter at times. Peter was not setting his mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. And so Peter may have had the best motives, and this is so very important, But the best of motives are never to be a substitute for obedience to the will of God, even when the plan includes suffering. So Peter's desire was to spare Christ the humiliation, the suffering, the shameful death of the cross. Trusting in our perspectives can and will cause us, if we're not careful, to miss God's perspective. In closing, you know, Peter may not have seen it all, but you've got to remember he's on the other side of the cross at this point. After Pentecost, at Pentecost and after Pentecost, he began to understand and understood it. And Peter needed to learn and did that disobedience was no substitute for obedience, even if done with the highest motive. Later, we read from Peter's uh, epistle uh, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 of 1 Peter. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Wow! He got it. I want to close with this story. There was a story of a king who made a law said anybody in this kingdom who committed a certain crime would have to pay by having his eye put out by a hot poker. It was a terrible sin evidently to the king. One day a young man was brought before the king for committing such a crime. The king was shocked but very quickly saddened as he found out that the young man was his son. The law had to be satisfied. So the king took the hot poker and put out his own eye. Because the law demanded an eye for the crime. The broken law had to be satisfied. And it was. The king in an act of love absorbed the pain and the punishment in his own body for this young man, his son. God's judgment against sin had to be applied. The plan involved suffering, dying a cruel death on the cross, being buried, and being raised again the third day. Guess what? We have a wonderful Savior, Jesus, who paid the price, took care of God's just demand. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness
2: of God in Christ Jesus.